The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. All right. So if you look at your handout, what I'd like to start with is um, I just, this is just a couple of quotes here on the first page that I put in. And um, later when we read some quotes, I might ask some other people to read so it's not just my voice all the time. Handouts are right, right up there on the corner. You'll see the, the paper there. Okay, so th- how many people don't have handouts now? Could you raise your hand, please, so we can just get a count? One, two, three, four, five. Okay, so Steve, you said you would make some more copies. Uh, so for right now, if you, if you would mind just sharing with someone near you, uh, you know. Okay, yeah, also, yeah. Okay, yeah, it's hard to estimate, you know, the exact number. I think we got pretty close, though. So I hope this will work for those of you who don't. I'm sorry. Uh, I hope, let's just try our best to make it work. But again, um, yeah, okay. So um, I, let me just read a couple of quotes I hear on the front page just to kind of set the tone here, right? This is a quote in the Pali Suttas. We'll explain what the Suttas are in a, in a, in a few moments, if you don't know. This is attributed to the Buddha. I considered, could jhana, so here's this word we haven't defined yet, but we will, could jhana be the path to enlightenment? Then came the realization, this is the path to enlightenment. That's a pretty strong statement, right? I'm just going to let that sit now. Here's this second quote. There are five detrimental things that lead to the decay and disappearance of the true dhamma. Dharma, Dharma is Pali, Dharma is Sanskrit. What are the five? And the Buddha lays them out. Uh, he says the, the, uh, the, the people dwell without reverence and deference towards the teacher, towards the Dhamma, towards the Sangha, towards the training. And number five, very interesting, without reverence and deference towards samadhi. We're gonna def- samadhi is the word we define as, concent- translate as concentration. We'll, we'll get into that in just a bit. Well, that's a pretty strong statement. So um, we'll come back because we want to look, you know, um, it's an interesting thing, isn't it, that depending on how you've been exposed to meditation practice, there are uh, many styles of practice that don't put much emphasis on concentration at all. Or sometimes you might even hear teachers saying, oh, don't do concentration because you're not doing insight meditation. Some of you may have heard talk like that. If you haven't, don't worry. But So we want to get into that today a little bit about, uh, um, you know, how do, how do those fit together? But these are certainly some pretty strong statements. These words coming from the mouth of the Buddha, at least in the Pali uh, suttas, yeah? Okay. So you can see on the front page, again, someone just walked in, uh, uh, we'll get you some handouts, that these are the goals for today. I'll just read them out loud. We want to understand the range of teachings on samadhi, that's concentration, in the Pali tradition. That, that alone is a big task. We want to understand the relationship between samadhi and insight meditation. Understand the nature of jhana. Some of you may not have heard that term, but uh, we're going to really go into it a lot today. Uh, what is it? It's quite controversial. Understand the main controversies and disagreements about samadhi and its place in meditation practice. 
And then, as I said here, most important of all, to inform and support your practice. So that's the goal for today. Yeah? I hope that will, we will, I think we can do it. All right. So what I'd like to do is just keep moving on since uh, I think it's, uh, uh, we've got a lot. And I want to start with something that's not in your notes. And this is very brief, <clears throat> just a few minutes. But we need to give just a little history to give a context for the day. And I think this will take maybe less than 10 minutes or so. So uh, according to tradition, after the, uh, you know, we don't know the exact dates that the Buddha lived. It used to be they would use between 563 and 483 B.C., or BCE, whatever the, the proper uh, denotation is. And I, I, I haven't kept up with it in the last few decades. I think they may have shifted that and moved it up a century closer to us. But we don't really know exactly, but say 400 years BC, something like that, 300 to 400 would be pretty good. So say 2,500 years ago, roughly, okay? That's a long time. According to, to, to tradition, after, to, after the Buddha died, within a couple of months, there was a council held, which was called the First Great Council. And it said that 500 uh, monks, you know, there were women who were practitioners too, who were considered to be enlightened. I guess they only, only let the men in here because it said 500 monks came. 500 is, when you hear that, it just means a lot. We don't know the exact number a big gathering came of all the people who had been around at the time of the Buddha to recount the teachings and make sure they came into agreement about what the teachings were. Because these things were not written down. It was all preserved as an oral tradition. And they wanted to make sure that we had some consensus on what the teachings were. And so during this great council, two things happened. It is said that Ananda... Ananda was the Buddha's younger cousin and had been the Buddha's attendant for the last 25 years of the Buddha's life. So he had been around for all the teachings, was uh, quizzed and asked, you know, uh, about this teaching and that and what he heard. And they all uh, came to some agreement. And um, according to tradition, uh, the... Uh, the what they all agreed upon and their, the, the way it was recounted evolved and became what were known as uh, there's, uh, in Sanskrit the sutras, in Pali suttas. And these are the canonical texts that preserved the teachings. So this is a little bit simplified, but it's the basic idea. And in fact, if you read some of the suttas today, Many of them begin with the phrase, thus have I heard. That's Ananda speaking to the first council right there. They're asking Ananda, and Ananda's saying, this is what I saw or heard. So actually, when you read that, if, if, if you're interested in reading suttas, to me, it brings it very alive. It's like, wow, that's Ananda speaking right there and recounting. So that's where that comes from. Um, so that's according to traditions, it, 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 it evolved into uh, the, what became the suttas. And then also um, there was another person, Upali, who had been around, and he was an expert on the rules of, of the monastic code of conduct 
And so he gave that, and that evolved into a whole other piece of, of, of which is the uh, called Vinaya, or sometimes called Vinaya, uh, the monastic code of conduct there. So that's right. Um, so um, anyway, this is really brief, but I just want to give you the basics. So what happened is um, um, over the centuries different schools of Buddhism arose. People split off in, in, in different understandings, like some, they might have different takes on what, what the meanings of a teaching were, was, or how to practice, or what the Buddha really said. And so the traditional number, we don't know the exact number, the tradition teaches that there were, within a few centuries, there were 18 different schools of Buddhism. And they may share a lot in common, or they may have some, some of them, we won't get into that, we could a little bit, but had, some of them had some real diff, uh, differences. And uh, those were all considered the early Buddhist schools, and all of those schools died out except for one, the Theravada school. And it's the only of the early Buddhist schools to survive as a living tradition today. So that's the form you find in Burma, Sri Lanka, Thailand, uh, maybe Laos, some of those uh, Southeast Asian countries. And that's the Theravada Buddhism. It's the early school. So what we're talking about today is all within Theravada. And so we're not talking about the Mahayana, which is all the Zen and Chan and and Tibetan forms, uh, which evolved, you know, centuries, millennia later. So just to give you a context, I'm going to say a little bit more, but I see you have your hand up, Steve, and you're going to use the mic, right? I just want... Is this on? Yes. I just wanted to add, I, I believe that the differences in the schools was not the teaching of Buddhism, but on the Vinaya, on what should be the proper rules or not. Right, there were, there were some other, there were Vinaya distinctions, but there were actually some other distinctions. For example, the Sarvastivada school, which is important and influenced uh, Tibetan Buddhism, called the All Things Exist school, and they were they actually had a belief that uh, uh, things are impermanent, but they actually have real inherent existence while they're here. And then the Tibetans, of course, criticize that because they're saying everything's empty and doesn't have existence. Theravada doesn't do that, so there were actually doctrinal okay. differences too. Yeah. Anyway, I thought, yeah, I thought it was all Vinia. But but Vinia too, for sure. So I'm not an expert. I know some about it, but anyway. But thank you for that. Uh, yes. Um, did you say or alluding to or alluding to? I'll repeat the question. That first Buddhist council, <coughs> the community started pointing out or writing down. Not writing down. Yeah, so what happened was this. So, um, uh, the, uh, so we're talking about Theravada now. So, and we're not talking about the Vinaya, the monastic code. And, the, and just for completeness, there's a third piece of the, what's called the Pali. So Theravada preserved its teachings in the language is called Pali of Theravada. Other schools preserved in Sanskrit, but those are not, but of, of the Theravada, it's a Pali tradition. So that we'll be talking about the language Pali a lot. And um, so in the Pali tradition, there's actually what's called the Pali canon. It's got the sutta part, which we're focusing on. It's got the vinaya, the monastic code. It's got a third part, which is called the abhidhamma, 
in Sanskrit, Abhidharma, and it's, we're not getting into that today, it's more of an analytical, it's, it's a complex subject, but we're, it's, it, it evolved centuries after the, after the Buddha, uh, but we can talk more about that later, but we, it may come in a little bit, but we're, we're, t- we're focusing on these suttas. And so uh, it was not written down, it was an oral tradition, and it was passed on as an oral tradition, and here's the, the, the kind of one of the important points. Well, when if something's preserved orally and it evo- it wasn't written down till several centuries after the Buddha was gone, so it'd be like if something here in this country, what we had the Revolutionary War, what 250 years ago, and if somebody gave oral traditions back then, and just now today, when you finally write it down, maybe it might have changed a little bit and evolved. Yeah. Now. So one of the things I think most people agree to is, it's pretty clear that uh, the suttas evolved until they were finally written down and could no longer change. So this gave rise, as we're going to see today, when we look in the suttas, there are places in the suttas that that maybe even disagree or give different, it's not necessarily one cogent, consistent piece and that has something to do with how it evolved. So um, um, now some people say that it actually preserved things better being an oral tradition because they didn't have printing presses. And we know that hand scribing was very, just take the Christian Bible, how prone to error it is. And also people took on res- very sacred responsibilities to preserve the teachings, and they would chant them in groups. And there's also a lot of repetition we'll see today. Stock phrases were used that aided in memory. Things were compiled as lists. So you'll have the eight this, the five this, the four that, helped in teaching and memory. Right? So, I, uh, you know, I don't think it's, I, I, we may never get back to the exact words of the Buddha, but hopefully things were preserved, the core teachings probably pretty well. Yeah? Okay. So, so that's one thing we have these suttas. But here's the other piece that's important. A whole bunch of commentarial literature also developed. And there's a whole bunch of Pali, in addition to the Pali suttas, there's these Pali uh, commentaries. And those continued to evolve. And commentaries continue to evolve, to, in, evolve today. You know, you write commentaries, right? Uh, so, um, and what happened is, about, we don't know the exact date, so I could be off plus or minus a few centuries, but let's just say 800 years after the Buddha, a man named um, um, Buddha Gosa, who was an important uh, commentator, he wrote a number of works, but his most important work was, a, was not a commentary, but a treatise that compiled the commentary understanding at his time what the understanding was 800 years, whatever, after the Buddha, and uh, put into one big, thick book. And this is a word, you don't worry, if, it, it's, if you don't know the Pali, it's going to sound like a long tongue twister, but I promise you, by the time the day is over, this word is going to roll off your tongue as, as if it's, you've been doing it your whole life, so don't worry. Uh, it starts with a V, the Vasudhimaga, and it's, gonna be, it's in your handout, Vasudhimaga. And it means the path of purification. And so it takes this whole understanding and it puts it into this manual here, right? And so this is, so in Theravada Buddhism, 
This is the last piece on the history I wanted to give you. In Theravada Buddhism, for some Theravada Buddhists, the entire understanding and the path of meditation is funneled through the lens of the Vasudhi Magha, and you look to that as your source. If you want to understand what the suttas say, you have to look to the interpretation of the Vasudhi Magha. As a gross generalization, I would say that tends to be more true in Burma, less so, maybe Sri Lanka, less so in Thailand. And then there's many, many other people, including me, who say, well, it seems pretty obvious, we're actually going to look at this today, that, the, well, actually the Vasudhimaga kind of moved into some new directions. And very different than what's taught in the suttas. So this is a big area of controversy, and it's not like anybody's right or wrong. All of this stuff is good. It doesn't matter. All these ways of practicing and understanding are very powerful, and people practice in all these different ways. But what we're going to come down to today is we're going to look at this topic that in just a moment we're actually going to define this word samadhi, concentration, how it's understood and taught in the Vasudhimaga, what is jhana, how does it fit in with insight meditation, just the whole world of that. And, the, and we're also then separately going to look at, without the influence of the Vasudhimaga, just look at the suttas in its own, by itself, and asking all these questions. And then we can bring those two back together and see where are they different. And, and because I think one of the confusions that happens a lot is that people have got these two mixed and blended in their minds and don't really even understand it. And, we're, and um, I'm going to give you one of these sort of... Uh, bottom lines that I want to convey for the whole day. And what I'm about to say now is very controversial, okay? So just because I'm saying it doesn't, <laughs> you have to make your own, doesn't mean it's true. It is true, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, uh, the, there are some similarities and crossovers between the suttas and the, and the Vasudhi Margar. They're, they're just, you should view them as two distinct paths of practice. We don't, it's not like right or wrong, but they're just two, two different systems. And as long as we hold it that way, we don't have to get in these battles and arguments about who's right or wrong or anything. Now, we're going to actually look to see, and I'm hoping you'll come to your own conclusion about it, but I'm in the camp. It's just pretty clear to me that uh, they're just different systems, two different jhana systems, two different ways to understand insight meditation, uh, two different understandings of what concentration samadhi is, and even within each of those, there's many variations. Um, but if we look at it that way, I think it clears up a lot of confusion. Yeah? So that's what we're going to do today. We're, gonna, we're not looking into the commentaries because the culmination of the commentaries kind of got codified in the Vasudhimaga. There are people who read the commentaries, but I don't know how much. But the Vasudhimaga itself is. So that's what we're going to do today. We'll be going Vasudhimaga and suttas back and forth. And, and one other thing I want to say, and then I'm going to ask if there's any questions. We'll take a little pause. There are several ways you can approach the suttas. One way you can approach the suttas is that um, there's just uh, inconsistencies in them. And it doesn't all line up. And there's confusion in there. Something that, that's a legitimate way to approach it. The way I've chosen to approach the suttas, and really just from a pragmatic perspective, it, it, this may not, what I'm about to say may not be historically accurate. I approach the suttas as 
letting all the pieces of Insutus inform all the other pieces to see if I can find it as kind of a cogent, consistent whole. And I think from a practical perspective, that's the way I like to come at it. So, you know, this sutta may say something here about mindfulness, but then if other suttas are say something about concentration, I think that should influence how we look at this sutta that's talking about mindfulness, for example. So that's the approach I'm choosing to take, but that's a particular approach, and it may not be the approach that everyone has to take. So let me pause. And you can see the pace at which I'm moving. I hope the energy of, that I'm, isn't too... Hi, Kate. Isn't too much because um, I'm just trying to clip through the material. Any question or comment? Yes, please. One thing people got to remember about the suttas, um, they were talks, and they were directed at people. And let's say you show up here on Sunday morning and you hear Gil give a talk. You wouldn't think that's the whole Dharma from his one talk. And some people look at the suttas that way, like they were all put together to give this consistent teaching, and it wasn't. They were just, people would ask him questions, and, or he would say, I have to talk about this today, and then just put it all together. It wasn't put together as a whole path on how to do Buddhism. Right. There were a lot of private teachings, which we don't know. There were stuff, other teachings, I'm sorry, really deep teachings that we'll never know about. Right. For sure. Yes, please. Did the Theravada school? It's on. It's on. Um, tend to be more uh, samadhi or samatha uh, based uh, than no. insight. No, it's a big world out there, and that's what we're going to explore. That exact question. So that's a great question. Uh, first of all, even samatha and vipassana, we're going to make a distinction between those two phrases. Some people might, so you said samatha or samadhi, and people tend to conflate those. They're actually different, so we'll explore that. Uh, no, uh, um, it's all over the map about how they do it, and that's one of the big things we're going to explore today. And if, we, if, if it's still left kind of not totally fleshed out, please bring that question back. Okay, all right. Yeah. All right. So then I invite you to, if you'll turn to your uh, notes, just to page two. Yes, so uh, more copies are coming, and we know we were a little short by five or six. So please, if, if your neighbor would share, that would be great. It makes it a little harder if you want to make notes, but uh, yeah, okay. All right, so we're going to skip around a little. We're going to spend a little time in, in the land of the Pali Suttas. And they're going to shift to the land of the Fasudi Mag, and we'll be going back and forth because they'll make the day flow better. So right now we're um, looking at this word. Let's just step back. This word samadhi. Okay. Um, the word samadhi, and I'm just—it's written right here for you. It—it's—it's it's generally translated as concentration. Now they didn't ask my opinion, and we're kind of stuck with it. Everybody uses it, but I think it's a terrible translation because it has so many connotations that can range all over the place. So we want to be clear. It's a fine word as long as we're clear what we mean. If you look at the etymology of the word, it actually has more of a meaning of undistracted. Undistracted, right? And um, 
so, but an undistracted mind can manifest in many different ways. And so the, the point I want to talk about, and I've got it here in your notes, it says two ways samadhi is understood. This is a key point that if you keep this in mind will, will help explain different understandings. So there's one way you can be undistracted in which you're um, focused on one thing. And the, uh, uh, Right? So let's just say you, uh, you meditated in a way in which there's many ways to meditate. I'll just pick one example. You're being mindfulness of breathing. And you kept putting your attention on your breath, wherever you feel it in your body. And you kept bringing your attention back every time it wandered, and you kept doing that. Over time, you would develop your ability to stay with that breath more. You'd get better at it. And you'd wander off less, and you'd stay on this one, we call it one thing, one experience of your breathing more and more. And if you kept taking that far enough, you could get really good at staying on your breath, and your mind wouldn't wander away much at all. And if you took that far enough, you can actually get to a place where you could be so undistracted, or you could say concentrated on your breath, that it fills your whole awareness, and you actually don't notice other experiences. You could stop hearing sounds. You wouldn't notice even the other experiences in your body. You might lose any awareness of your whole body or any other experiences because uh, it would just be focused n- narrowly on this one thing and, and everything else is kind of gone. You get the idea how you could be concentrated or undistracted in that way if you took it far enough. I know you may not have experienced it, but you get the idea, right? So that's, that's one way. Now I want to come back and say more about that in a second way. But the, the, the thing is what happens is you get to the point where it's like your mind becomes unmoving. It's not going off anywhere. It's just, we'll, we'll, they use a term sometimes, one-pointedness. It's not literally a point, but it's narrowly focused. And it's called exclusive concentration because the mind is exclusively on the one thing and it excludes awareness of everything else. Right? That's one kind of, and it's a narrow kind of awareness. There's a second kind of undistractedness. There's many flavors and variations of what I'm saying, but I'm just trying to get the basic idea. There's another way the mind can be undistracted that is actually, it's just as deep, but it's qualitatively very different. than. so, So the first way I was just talking about, the changing flow of experience would ultimately stop for you, Right? Because you're not noticing in that. You're kind of just fixed on this one breath. So you wouldn't notice all these changing experiences going on around you. That's a kind of stopping of experience. You can also become so concentrated or undistracted in a way where the mind itself... So I'm going to use the term the mind. Uh, and I'm not going for a laugh here, but really, um, um, you know... What's the mind? I don't know. So we use this term, the mind. I'm, I'm being a little loose and sloppy, but I hope I'll convey just the, what I'm trying to get across here. So I, I don't know what the mind is, okay? <laughs> There's a lot we could, you know, what's the mind? But rather than the flow of experience stopping from you, the mind itself stops. 
totally present, undistracted, but the changing flow of experience within that awareness continues on. It, rather than being narrow, it's actually more open and broad and inclusive. Rather than being called uh, one-pointedness, I take the same word, which we'll see later, a kagata, and I translate it as unification of mind, just to make a distinction. And rather than call it exclusive concentration, I call it inclusive concentration. It doesn't exclude anything. It's a different kind of stopping, and a different kind of undistracted. Totally present, but, but you know, you, you don't have to just be on one object. It can actually be a, a, an open mind. And there's a quote from Ajahn Chah that I think captures the essence of this second kind of inclusive. I don't remember it exactly. Some of you will have heard this quote where he says, make your mind like a still forest pool. And he goes on to say, so you're, and he says, many, uh, what does he say? Many rare, and you'll have to correct me, some of you know this, many rare and wonderful animals will come to drink at the pool. In other words, many experiences will come and go. You will see many things come and go, but you will be still. That's, that's what we're talking about. And it's just as deeply concentrated and just as deeply uh, 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 one-pointed, or if you want to say, or unification of mind. It's just it hasn't shut off uh, other experiences arising within that unified mind. Very different. Does that make sense? I'm kind of repeating, but I'm trying to convey something that if you haven't experienced it. But you get the idea. Open or narrow. You can all... Re- yes, please. Right. Yes, that's right. Yes, it's just like that. And all we're talking about is this. I'm, I'm a little. I'm afraid I'm going to be a little clumsy or inarticulate to, on how I say this because we're talking about states of consciousness, and sometimes it's hard to put the words on them. But if in ordin- for most people in ordinary daily life consciousness, the way you just described it, I'm sitting. I'm here. I hear sounds, I look around, people are here, there's just the coming and going experience and I'm open and present, right? But our minds can be distracted and wander and everything and what happens is there's actually an experience of the mind coming to an utter, a deep presence, stillness, undistractedness. Your mind, when you take it far enough into what we call jhana, your mind cannot be distracted, it cannot wander. And it's happening on its own, too. So it's a whole big thing there. So it's just a level of deepening that presence beyond ordinary consciousness. Well, for now, let's just leave it at that. Is that okay? Yes. Uh, the mic would be good if, if I don't even know where it is. But, um, but you know what? That's fine. You know what? Don't worry about it because uh, if we can use the mic, great. But also, I'll try to be good, better about uh, repeating the question. Um, the definition that you're giving, the second one, about um, inclusive um, concentration, to me it feels that um, it's very similar to the experience artists are having. Could um, be. Like, you know, when you take, um, I was a pianist and a ballerina, or when you see um, artists. Uh, perform, there is really that uh, 
Well, they talk it's about getting in a flow, for example. Yeah, but it's not exclusive. Yeah, right, you right. Know, there is really that kind of inclusiveness of the whole world of the... Uh, yeah, yeah. But it's undistracted. But it, it could be very similar to those states. I, I don't, you know, if we really got down to the states, how much they're the same or not. But it, it does have that kind of feeling, exactly mm -hmm. what you're talking Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So as we go through the day, and we're going to talk about John and all this, let's keep in mind this idea of, because you can already see that depending on your understanding, uh, because uh, 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 sometimes people say concentration and they don't explain what they mean and they just make an assumption of which kind they're talking about and that has a lot to do with how then they view it to fit in with insight meditation already. Yeah. Okay. So we got that. And we're going to come back to this more. Uh, we're going to really go through that. So now we'll continue through the notes. And this next section here on page two, it says right samadhi. Yeah. And um, very interesting here, isn't it? Uh, I'll just read this quote here out of the Samyutta Nikaya. That's one of the collections of the suttas. Bhikkhus, he's talking to the monks, the, the bhikkhus. Uh, develop concentration. A monk who is concentrated understands things as they really are. And what does he understand as they really are? He understands uh, all things are impermanent, is basically what it's saying. So he's saying develop under concentration. So it's just a, another little, um, the Buddha urging us, to, to uh, emphasizing the importance of concentration. So um, some of you may know we're not going to go through the whole Eightfold Path, the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path today. So many of you know of it. Some of you may not know, but at least to know that it's one of the foundational formulations of Dharma teaching is what we call the Four Noble Truths. And just for time, we're going to leave it. You can find it on your own. Talk to someone else here. Talk to me on the break. I can give you resources on it. And that the fourth of the uh, element of the Four Noble Truths is what's called the Eightfold Path, which is a path of eight elements of practice. And the culmination, the, the eighth of, of that is samadhi. And the, the, the way the, four, the Eightfold Path is set up is they use this word right, like they'll call it right view, you know, um, the right intention, right, right speech, right action, right mindfulness, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration, right? Well, the word that's translated as right in Pali, it's sama, and, and the actual, if you look it up, the, the real meaning in the Pali English dictionary, it says to be connected in one with. I, I love that, it's beautiful. But it basically means not right or wrong, it's the way, the more to think about it is, what would be the proper way to practice if you wanted to attain a particular goal? That's the way to think about it. So if you want to, you know, hit your golf swing properly, there's more of the right way to hold. Because other ways just won't give you the result. They give you a different result. So it's not a right or wrong. It's just what would be the, the wise and skillful. And it's interesting that... Uh, Samadhi is important there. And matter of fact, they, they break the, the Eightfold Path into three groups. And one group is the Samadhi group. Right effort, right mindfulness, and right Samadhi. It's called the Samadhi group of the Eightfold Path. So Samadhi is a big deal. How is right Samadhi defined in the suttas? There are many places in which the suttas can be ambiguous or not clear. But this is one of the areas where it is crystal clear. It's explicit. 
right samadhi is defined as what's called the four jhanas. We're going to come to that later in the morning. So we'll look at it in detail. So we're leaving it, we're using this term jhana a few times. So far it's been left undefined, but we're going to get there. It doesn't say pretty good samadhi or, yeah, you'd rather be kind of concentrated rather than having a scattered mind or strong. It's the four jhanas is right samadhi. That's what the suttas say. Personally, I think what's more useful so we don't get into judging ourselves and feeling that we're not practicing properly is from a practical point, this is just me speaking, not, not from the Buddha, is whatever level you have of Samadhi, I like to think of it as right samadhi, as long as it's influenced by the other elements of the Eightfold Path, the right intention, right, right, right view, you know, right effort, then I like to think of those as right samadhi, and then, then we're more relaxed. But the suttas do say right samadhi is the four jhanas, so I'm just, that's what they say, okay? So, then... I want to make a shift now. In your notes, so we're going to skip around in the notes some. Um, we've kind of said so far what we, you know, on a basic level, what we mean by samadhi. And there's this thing called right samadhi, which is the four jhanas. So now let's sort of look at it. And I want to skip in your notes. Um, for the rest of our morning session, uh, before our break. Sorry, just a moment. Let me find the page in your notes here. Ah, Would you please go to page 10 in your notes? And there you see on page 10, Samadhi in the Vasudhi Maga. And we're going to, okay. Um... Now, uh, there it is written out for you, that long tongue twister, Vasudhi Maga. As I said earlier, maybe written around the 5th century of the Common Era by Buddha Gosa. It expresses the commentarial understanding of the Pali teachings. And just sort of FYI, there's one sutta, which is called the Relay Chariot Sutta. And the whole structure of the Vasudhi Maga is based on that sutta. And it's these, um, um, and the way, it's sort of like here in, in this country, in the Old West, they had the Pony Express, where the way they get the mail from one side of the country to the other is, you'd ride a horse all day until you got to a station, and then you'd switch horses to a fresh one, and you'd relay from one horse to the next to the next in these stations all across the country, and it'd take just a few days, you could get the, right, you could get the mail all the way across the country, it was a relay, And so similarly, the sutta says the path to enlightenment is like, and they list out these stages of awakening that happen. We're not going to get into that today. That's not our topic. And in the Relay Chariot Sutta, it just lists what they are, but doesn't give any explanatory detail in that one sutta. You can find some help in other places, but it doesn't really say much about it. What the Vasudhimaga has done is it's taken that one sutta and taken those seven elements and it's broken them up into great detail about, and that's what the structure of the Vasudhimaga is, okay? Just so you know what, where it came from, right? So let's just say a few things of what uh, v- the Vasudhimaga does. 
the Vasudhi Maga divides, so we're not talking about suttas now. We'll come back and say how this fits into the suttas. The Vasudhi Maga, by the way, you all holding up okay? <laughs> okay. We're just going to go a little more and we'll take a break. It's a, lot of, it's a study day, right? So it's a lot of this, okay? <laughs> um, just a little bit more. We're, the Vasudhi Maga is unlike the suttas, it's very explicit and clear all the way through. Um, it divides, explicitly divides the path of meditation practice into two distinct paths, and you can follow either of the two. And they're called samatha and vipassana in Pali. Samatha means tranquility, sometimes calm or insight, and I think I've translated that here in your notes. Tranquility or calm, that's samatha. And insight is vipassana, two distinct paths. Um, so, um, basically what happens is this. What makes these paths different? In the path of samatha, they didn't use the word samadhi, they used the word samatha, which is calm. The samadhi you're trying to develop is that narrowly focused, fixed concentration. Okay? They're real explicit about that. And in the path of samatha calm, you're aiming for jhana, and you try to attain jhana. And this will get clearer in the, in the last half of the morning when we go through what jhana is. There's all these practices that are, that are given. And the idea is to attain this narrow, exclusive concentration. So then, but remember, uh, and well, I'll come back in a second, what I was about to say. And then, once you've attained jhana, you turn your mind to this other kind of practice, which we'll say more about why it's different, called vipassana insight meditation. You, you, you attain jhana, and then you switch over to another kind of practice called vipassana. And we'll say what it is in a few moments, so don't worry. In the path of Vipassana, it's a different path because you, you go straight to the Vipassana, the insight meditation, and you never aim for nor attain jhana. And there's a particular level of concentration they want you to get to. Right? So they've just divided into two paths in that way. Right? Most of the Vasudhi Maga is talking about the, the path of Samatha and jhana. And it only says a little bit in there about the path of, of Vipassana, but it is there. But th that path of Vipassana in the Vasudhimaga has become the entire insight meditation scene in this country for certain historical reasons. And it'll make sense by the end of the day. If you go to like, I mean, look, this is a gross generalization because people teach in all different ways. But in, in general, we're teaching the insight meditation path of the Vasudhimaga. When I, okay. Yes, please. So, just to clarify in contrast with the sutras, uh, the Buddha speaks of sati. Does the Buddha speak of shamatha as well? He does. See, you know, all of your questions are, you, you are, you're ahead of the game here on your question. I want you to keep doing it. But no, this is exactly what we're going we're to actually explore. We're going to talk about what does he really mean by samatha in the suttas? Is it the same as samadhi or not? What do they mean by it in the, in the Vasudhi Maga? So a lot of the day is going to be on exactly that. Okay for now? Yeah, and since I'm here, I'd like to add something that you might address later. 
Yes, please. Um, he paid on page two, is it? Uh, when he quotes the Buddha as saying that uh, concentration, I need that word too, uh, samadhi allows you to understand things as they really are. Yes. And I find very interesting that uh, the Buddha uh, mentions impermanence yes. as being the key characteristic. Yes. And... Um, I think it's interesting that he doesn't mention Dukkha right. or Anicca. Yeah. And I don't know, and I know that, there, you know, I've heard certain teachers stress the fact that, that kind of your job is to deconstruct the three and have an insight, deliberating insight consisting in seeing all three. But this is something that is an interpretation. Right. Because the Buddha mentions only a single... In this particular sutta, the Buddha is only mentioning it. Yeah, if you take the whole... All of that's in there. But, but even this is even a bigger topic because even the idea that the path of, 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 of enlightenment or awakening entails... There's this thing called the three characteristics of all experience that many of you know, some don't. We, I think maybe we will say more about that at some point entails having insights into that. That's just one, that's one interpretation. That you're supposed to have insights into that. <laughs> for, for many, many people, uh, the paths of, who have deep awakening experience, it's not about insights. They go just directly to deep equanimity, say, for example. And it wasn't about an insight. There's many ways the path can unfold. It's not just one way. But that is a big understanding that's very common about insight into these three characteristics. So we'll, we'll get more into that when we talk about the path of insight more. Yeah? Okay. All right. So, yes, Shay, Cater. Well, just listening to what you're saying, my understanding is that, so I hear what you're saying and that that's how it often conventionally ends up being taught, that Anicca and Nath and Dukkha have insight into those as the path, but I have a little bit different understanding, which is those are defining characteristics of the Buddhist teaching, of the Buddhist dispensation, which set it apart from other spiritual traditions, um, and particularly since he came from a time, an era, when there were so many different spiritual practices, um, that those are the hallmarks. Yeah, yeah. That's how I hold it, too. So just to repeat the question for the recording, that, that, that's different than saying it's that, that looking into the three characteristics can be viewed as kind of hallmarks of, of, of the Buddhist teaching. And not, that's different than saying the, the way to liberation is to have, have those insights particularly. That's true. And I can just tell you, some, <clears throat> some of you may have had the same experience, but I can tell you from personal experience of you know, over my course of meditating almost, you know, 50 years. And um, I've had um, some of the classic insights there. And but in and of themselves, it may be, I don't, I'm not going to argue whether it's a necessary condition for enlightenment, but it's not sufficient. You think I never get in an argument with my wife? <laughs> so, you know, uh, you know, it may help us, but, but there's other ways that the, uh, <laughs> that the awakening can unfold. And again, I appreciate what you're saying. It's not always, some people, the insights is really pronounced in their awareness. And for others, it's just not like that. They go to equanimity. Yes, Steve. Um, in the canon, he never uses the term, the three characteristics. He either just comes out 
and says dukkha nicca natta. But another thing, most of the time what he does say, and a lot of people miss this point, he says you develop the perception of dukkha or, or not self or um, inconstancy or impermanency. That's a different thing. That's an active thing. You're actually developing a perception. And one could argue that when you're developing samadhi, you're developing the perception of constancy. And it's the play of those two that really develops you. You could say that way, and I appreciate that. And there's another way also, which is through samadhi, you actually deepen uh, uh, an anjana, if you have the right jhana, more of an inclusive jhana, where you're not disconnected. It actually enhances connection with changing experience, and you have... It, 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 it's contributing to actually profound insights and perceptions into oh, yeah, inconstancy. So there's yeah, all these different uh, understandings. What I'm saying is most people miss the point about and in developing concentration is the active use of developing your perceptions, the labels you, you put on things, and that's going to affect your whole experience. Yeah. So good. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. All right. So a few more points I just want to make here. Uh, so let's just I'm going to skip around just a little bit here and then we'll come back and go through the structure of of the handout here so already you can see can't you that if your understanding is that uh, in that one of the, the the an important way to come to this awakening or liberation or enlightenment whatever word you like to use is having these insights you have to be connected with changing experience to see that things are impermanent and not self. You, can't, you don't want to lose connection with change. And we just said one way that samadhi can manifest is a fixed one-pointed concentration. Remember that first way where you lose connection with change and you're narrowly focused? If that's your understanding of what concentration is, then you can see how necessarily you need to separate that path from the path of insight because you don't want to get so concentrated like that. And if you go for that jhana, you need to back out so you can connect back with change again, right? You can see why they separated into two paths here. Does that make sense? Did I say that too fast? Let me slow it down. We were saying that one understanding of kind of the path of of awakening, if you will, or this enlightenment, liberation, is having insights into the way things are. And we were talking about this three characteristics of impermanence and we could say suffering or whatever and, and the nature of your own self. Sometimes we say no self or whatever, right? And it's through having those insights deeply that we get it on some deep level and the mind liberates, Right? I was saying practically, that, again, this is just me speaking, that that's not the way in practice that it unfolds for everyone. Some people, yes, and for others, for example, their mind might go directly just to equanimity because they kind of just get quite non-reactive. And then maybe they don't, aren't aware of particularly having insights like that in practice. But let's just say we held that understanding. It's through these insights. In order to have those insights, you have to be connected with the world with experience, with your own mind and body, with the inner and outer world. So the, and the, to really get it that all things are impermanent, you have to be connected with changing phenomena. And if you're practicing a concentration that gets very 
one-pointed and fixed and narrow so that, remember, you get narrowly focused, maybe whatever it was, just on the breath, and you lost connection with changing experience. The changing flow of experience stopped for you. Then, according to sort of the classic traditional view, you can't have insights into them. Turns out, even then, you can have insights because you're so... But that's a different conversation. But just a, a traditional way to think of it is... Now you've lost connection with change. You can't have insights according to that understanding. So that's the path of samatha here. You're trying to get to that level. But it's only to make the mind so clear and sharp. And then when you back out, turn to insight meditation, the path of vipassana. Now I'm connected with change again, but I've got a highly concentrated mind as a good tool. Just one moment, yes, please. Don't, don't forget what you, okay. You're th- and, and I'm connected with change. You can see how you have to then separate them into two paths, if that's your understanding. That's what the Vasudhimag is doing. That's where we get this idea of two distinct paths. If we're developing an inclusive samadhi, <clears throat> and it's not like one's better than another. It's, it's all good stuff. But if you have an underst- the, the open, inclusive samadhi, you can get as concentrated as you want, and you have not lost connection with change. You've enhanced connection with change, and you don't separate them into two different paths. So more on that later. Yes, please. You could be. You could be. That's correct. And so that's possible. And so we want to be careful about, do we get some kind of, uh, these words can be triggering for some people, so I want to be respectful, but could be like a trance or you could be, so that can happen. But there's also a form of these kind of uh, samadhis where actually it's, it's, a, it's a real presence and clarity, but it is a, just a particular state of consciousness that was cultivated that may not be diluted, but it's just because we have on purpose excluded a lot of things and purposely devoted to just the one thing and then it's real and it's not a delusion but it's very specialized way we've we've put our consciousness but that is true what you're saying it could be so we want to just you know that's why sometimes we need teachers and you know and all that kind of stuff right so thank you for that that's important yes please That's one of the understandings. It turns out there's more than one jhana system. So that's what we're going to get into later. So bring that back in if I don't cover that later. That's an, a good point. Yes, please. Is there any school of Buddhism that says we can just dispense with the Visuddhamaga uh, and just stick to the sutras? Oh, yes. In Theravada Buddhism itself, there are the people, like I said earlier, who, you know, really the entire path of practice got funneled through the lens of the Vasudhimaga. And there are many other people out there, it's just a big world out there, just as big a world, that says, um, uh, Buddha Gosa just got it wrong. And he looked at all these problems he's caused us. And he screwed everything up and are actually be, can be quite um, um, critical I happen to, so, and, and, and dismiss the Vasudhi Maga, I happen to, I'll just give you my own perspective, and you have to see for yourself what supports you. My perspective is it's not a right or wrong. These are systems that developed because people really were practicing in all these different ways. 
And we're really having all these different experiences. And so all these different paths work for the... So our job is to understand the landscape so we can make informed decisions and then find what works best for each of us because it's not like one way is the best. It's like some of us may be on more of a pure Vasudhimaga approach. Others may be in a more pure sutta or blend them in different ways. So, but we want to be educated so we know what we're doing rather than just not understanding and getting confused. That's all. Right? There's not one. It's all good. And people, from what I can tell, seem to be coming to tremendous depths of whatever word you like, enlightenment, awakening, practicing in all these different ways. And that's why we have all these great, so-called great masters out there all saying, this is the way and do this. Well, that worked for them. And another great master saying, no, 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 it's not that, it's this way. Well, they're right. Their way is good too. They're just wrong because they're saying the other person's wrong. It's not like that. It's just not right for him. Yes, Steve. I just want to add that if you're, you're serious about taking up these practices, um, you should find someone who is skilled in one of those schools who you believe is skilled and study them. It's not something you can just like, you know, do on your own. Yeah, right. Yeah, that, that can save a lot of, um, you know, otherwise sometimes we might head, uh, next thing you know, you find yourself off in a, some blind alley and, and maybe you could have saved yourself some headache having to get yourself out. If, you know, so, so getting, we all can use, <laughs> no matter what endeavor in life you're undertaking, it can always be good to someone who's gone a little further down the path, right? Who can say, actually, this trail's going to kind of get a little difficult, but if you take the trail around here, it'll get you there faster, right? Or whatever. So just a few things we're going to break pretty quick. Here's what the path of, um, it, we're still in Vasudhimaga. Here's what the path of Samatha does. Remember, this is the one where you're trying to get to jhana first. I'm on page 10 of your notes. Well, under, it says, number one, tranquility and insight, two paths of meditation practice. So if you look to Samatha meditation, Samatha, not the same as Samadhi. It means calm or tranquility. Basically, the Vasudhimaga lists 40 different meditation subjects that are given. I have not listed them all out here. And actually, I'll just give this as a chance. Uh, um, it's not necessary. I, I did put some books out there on the corner. Not, you don't need to get those. But if you're interested, that book takes everything we're doing here, but it goes into a lot more detail than we can do in one day. We're hitting the high points. And it has some appendixes that list like all the 40 meditation subjects, for example, are there. So you just take a copy and flip through if you want. You don't have to buy one or whatever, but you can see. But for example, there's a bunch of what they call casino meditations. And some of them are like colors where you can make these colored discs and you just stare at the disc, right? Well, you could see if, you, if that worked for you. It doesn't work for everyone, but you could get really one-pointed on that one thing, right? Uh, breath meditation is in there. There's all, just, it, it, it's a lot. I, I, four elements, it's, anyway, it's a lot, of medita- a lot of meditations, 40 different meditation subjects. And the Vasudhimaga goes into a lot of detail on how do you pick the one that's the right for you. And it's many pages of what they say is the right, you know, because not all are said to be good for everyone. So it gives you all these meditation p- practices. 
And you're trying to, as it says in your notes, attain what we call fixed concentration, which is the same, that's what they call it, same as one-pointedness, narrowly fixed. And it says here, I'm just reading, you want to get concentration so intense that the mind is fixed on the object without wavering. No other experience can arise, so the mind is one-pointed, fixed on the one point, right? So that's what you're aiming for. And awareness of changing experience is lost as the mind absorbs into its meditation object. We'll say more about what we mean by absorption. So that's what it's trying to do. And in Vipassana meditation, as it says at the bottom of page 10 and moving into page 11, um, you're not trying to get... uh, uh, you, you, you're, not, you're not trying to get uh, to, to what they call jhana. As you see at the top of page 11, you're trying to get something called momentary concentration. And we'll define that in... Can you hold up for like five more minutes? Is that all right? Was that okay? Okay. Somebody raise your... Yes, Murray. Right. Well, people equate the two, but they're actually, so let's just stick, let's, let's let the day unfold a little bit, and then let's come back to that and bring it up again if, if, we, if we need to about that. But that's right. It is a stilling of the mind, but when we talk about samatha, it's emphasizing the tranquility and calm itself. And there, if, if you have a, um, an open, inclusive samadhi, um, there is a tra- samatha is an element, but um, um, I'm going to say the mindfulness and the insight and uh, it, it, the, the, the tranquility is an element, but it may not be the defining characteristic that comes to forefront. There may be other things going on in there where, where it synthesizes more. So there's different understandings. Okay. Yes, please. Well, going back to, again, to Samatha and the definition you have written down here, um, attaining a fixed concentration so intense that the mind is not wavering, no other experience can arrive, that doesn't really sound like calm or tranquility to me. Oh, well, it doesn't have to have like a, a overly intense feeling to it. It's just, so I guess maybe I, I could have chosen different, adjectives to use here but when you're in those states it actually is a, a it is a deep sti- stillness for sure okay because roaring emotions aren't they're not happening getting stirred up not not when you, if you took this all to its culmination there wouldn't be emotions coming up or thoughts like if you were having a meditation and maybe whatever just this blissful light came up there'd only be the blissful light. I mean, they wouldn't even be used to sitting there going, oh man, this is great, I have blissful light, and I'm going to tell everybody. No, it's just blissful light. I think that helps. Thank you. Okay. So a few other quick things here, and I know we're just going to sort of touch on these, and you can go back and look at the notes later, but, um, but just a couple of things quick. On page 11, uh, and then we're going to take a break. Three levels, this is again in, in the Vasudhimaga, Path of Samatha, Three levels of concentration are given. The first one, uh, called Parikama Samadhi, preparatory. That's whatever ordinary level of concentration you have when you're just starting out, whatever that is, for each person. The second one is called access, or sometimes called neighborhood concentration. You can see it there on page 11. 
and you're getting close to accessing jhana, or it's a neighboring jhana, and it's defined in a very particular way. Uh, I'm going to talk about the sign in just a moment, but you, it's, it's, it's defined by the arising of a sign called a counterpart sign. This, I know this is getting complicated, but it, you, can, anyway, you have this thing called a counterpart sign arises in your awareness and you're in access concentration. That's the definition. And then third is fixed concentration, which is the level of concentration in jhana. Okay. Um, if you're doing what's called bare insight, which is the pure path of Vipassana practice without the samatha, sometimes called dry insight, I said that in your notes, it's not dry, it doesn't have a negative connotation. Dry means um, it's not moistened by the moisture of jhana. That's all it means. It's not negative to call it dry. That's the way they talk. Is the, uh the counterpart sign, is that, is that the nimitta? Yes. I'm gonna, gonna, that's the last thing we'll say before we break here, right? So get these three levels of concentration. Preparatory, that's everyday, ordinary. Access, you're getting close to jhana, and then the level of jhana. That, they divide it up like that. Again, this is all, none of this is Vasudhimaga. And then there's three signs of concentration, and they use this term nimitta. Um... In the suttas, the term nimitta is used, and it just means the theme or the basis of something. In the Vasudhimaga, the nimitta is actually in like a, an object. It's a specific sign that happens in concentration, and those are listed. And you could go look in my book there, too. I list out all the nimitta for each of the 40 meditation subjects. This, this stuff's complex. It just goes on and on. So you're not going to memorize it all, so you just look at references and see what you're interested in, and right? So you can find, I've got them all listed, what the nimittas are. <clears throat> in preparatory concentration, when you're first starting out, the, medi- the, the, the nimitta is just whatever meditation your object you're using. If you're doing mindfulness of breathing, it's just the feeling of your breath. That's your nimitta. When you get into access concentration, a mental image is said to arise. It actually says it can be a, a felt sense in your body, too, but for some reason, uh, people seem to be emphasizing the... The, the, the Sudhimaga says it doesn't have to be mental, but that mental gets a lot. You can actually have a light arises that's mental, and you see it as clear. This is just an example. You think someone's actually got a physical flashlight there where they're shining. It can be different colors, all kinds of things. And it's so clear that whether your eyes are open or closed, it's that. You're not trying to, it, I mean, it just pops it there. It's, it's pretty, many, I'd say most people probably don't get, ever get that. It has nothing to do with your degree of concentration, but some people do get them. That means you're in excess concentration. When that gets to a certain level of steadiness, by definition, access concentration is not only a degree of access concentration, but this nimitta has to pop into your awareness. I know we're touching on this quick, but uh, that's what that is. It's, call, it's called the uh, counterpart sign. The, that mental image is flawless, clear, and steady. Right? And so that's basically what the Vasudhimaga has done, just to summarize here. It's divided, I'm just going to repeat the Divided meditation into two paths, samatha, calm, vipassana, insight. 
The path of samatha uses one of these 40 meditation objects, subjects. And um, you go through different stages of concentration. They break them out into, you know, you can get to what's called access concentration when this counterpart sign, this nimitta arises. And you get to jhana. And um, then you would, at some point, back out of the level of jhana so that you're not so one-pointed and you have changing experience. And then you consciously turn your attention now to look towards change or this, what they call four elements meditation. There's, there's a range of ways to... Uh, we're not going to get into all of that, but they're also listed in the book if you want to go look what, how you do that. And now, but that's how they do it. Or you can go directly to the path of Vipassana meditation and you just don't... Once you've hit jhana, you're, by definition, you're in the path of samatha. You can't, right? Cause, but if you don't ever hit jhana, uh, you can go directly turning your mind towards these insight practices, putting your attention on changing phenomena, four elements, just a whole bunch of practices. And the last thing I'd say is they do want you to get pretty concentrated, though. They call it momentary concentration for, for the path of Vipassana. And it's actually said to be the same level as uh, access concentration of samatha, but it's not access because you don't get a nimitta, so it's technically not access concentration. So if you go to a place like, say, Spirit Rock, which is great. I'm just using it as an example. I don't know what they're doing so much these days. I don't teach there so much anymore. I'm a little out of it. But the way it used to be was... You would get some talk here and there about concentration, but it was kind of de-emphasized. And they would just talk about mindfulness, mindfulness. Use the four foundation of mindfulness, mindfulness. They're going right into this path. They're not trying to get you into jhana. They don't talk about jhana. They figure just by being mindful, you'll get all the concentration you need. That's this path right here, the Vipassana insight path of the Vasudhimanga. And there's historic re- historical reasons why we got there. Certain teachers brought that teaching in out of the whole world of what it could have been. All right. We will do a little sitting because we have to have some silence. I, I, I do appreciate that. But it's, it's an ambitious day to get through all this, so I, I do recognize it's a lot of stuff. But I hope it will, by the end of the day, inform your practice. Then when you go back and be still and quiet, it's, it doesn't confuse us, but actually helps clarify our our practices is, is what I hope. So we're going to break. Um, someone raise your hand uh, if you want to talk to me in the break. We're going to break for, um, boy, 10 minutes is kind of, sh- well, we'll see if you can do it in 10. But uh, do, take care of yourself. Do whatever you need to do.